Well, good morning, everyone. I, again, appreciate this opportunity that you've given me to be here, and I thank you very much. I hope, again, as I did last Sunday, and I hope for this Sunday, too, that my words can be of some encouragement and of some edification to you in some way, shape, or form. It is nice to also meet another Luke. I'm going to tell you, I know more Lukes than anybody, and that is not an exaggeration. And I'm glad to know another brother in Christ that is a Luke. And, and, and speaking of Lukes, if you, if you want to add another Luke to your prayer list, there's another preacher named Luke who we might get to meet someday soon. I've met him, and I'll see if I can introduce you all to him. He is preaching in Africa right now. And I know tomorrow is the 4th of July, and we always think about the, the freedoms that we have. He sent me a video on my way here this morning of, of their worship service in their building. And for one, they, it's not as overcast, I guess, over there as it is here, but their building was just a roof. And to think about you know, what people are willing to go through to worship, what they're willing to put up with, and we have all these freedoms here to, to worship so freely. So maybe something to think about on your 4th of July weekend as Christians are meeting all over the world. But thank you again for this opportunity. I hope, again, to be of some uh, effective service today. But if you have your, your Bibles handy, you want to turn over to the book of John. The book of John is where we're going to be uh, starting out for our class this morning, or class sermon Whatever you want to, want to call what I'm trying to do today. But over in the book of John and in chapter 8 is where we will begin. And the title for our sermon, you may have noticed out on the, on the marquee lights, is Got Freedom. Got Freedom. Um, if you went to school anywhere from the 90s up till now, you probably saw a similar <laughs> phrase to this in every cafeteria. Two words. There would be some celebrity with a little mustache of white. And they'd say, got milk. Got milk. Well, the question I have for you is, got freedom because again what in the world makes me ask you that well tomorrow is july 4th and whenever the the holiday such as that one rolls around that word freedom probably gets thrown around a lot more than usual it's a good word freedom i like it i mean it's got a good ring to it it's got a good sound to it and songs it sounds good we just sang a song with the word freedom in it i mean it's just a good fun word freedom 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 it's great to say, great to be a part of. And, you know, when you think about our country in particular, where we live here in the United States, it's certainly a word that has a, a rich history in our, own, uh, in our own nation's fabric, if you will. Um, what it means to be a part of a free country, all the freedoms that we enjoy. Freedom means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But if I were to ask you, do you think that even though you live in perhaps one of the freest, if not the freest country in history, despite that, that we live here in a place such as this, if I were to ask you, do you have freedom? Can you confidently say, yes, I have freedom? Now, like any question I may ask, there, there may be a catch. Because you're probably already putting, putting two and two together thinking, well, maybe he's not talking about the freedom I think he's talking about. But I want you to think about that this morning, whether or not you have freedom and maybe whether or not you or other people we know are as free as one might think. And so what in the world does that have to do with our lesson this morning? Well, over in John chapter 8, we read, of course, of the life of Jesus. This is one of the four gospel accounts we have. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and lastly, John, that talks about the life of Jesus. And in the context of Jesus' life here in John chapter 8, there was a story some of you may have heard of that just took place. 
Um, Jesus, of course, was constantly being tested, tempted, and tried by, by many of these Jewish leaders we remember as the Pharisees. You know, if you want to say that there was an arch enemy against Jesus, you could say there was a lot, but the Pharisees were certainly one of the people who did not want to see Jesus succeed in anything. And it was so ironic because they knew so much about God's word, they were such a hindrance, or tried to be such a hindrance, to Jesus and his work. And so in one such incident, um, there were some people who, uh, who approached Jesus with a supposed adulteress. And in that particular story, you might remember that Jesus famously said, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And there's a whole lot going on in that story. You might remember Jesus was, was writing something in the dirt in that story, maybe bring it into memory. Shortly after that, in, in this chapter, Jesus talks about how he is the, the light of the world. And so there's a lot of information going on here in John chapter 8. And I certainly don't mean to neglect its significance, but down in verse 31 where we will begin... Jesus really throws a curveball at some of these individuals who he is speaking with. And in, first, or excuse me, and in John, and in the 31st verse of chapter 8, this is what we read. We read, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word and are my disciples indeed, and you shall uh, know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave of sin, or excuse me, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's read that one more time. I stuttered a lot, so, so I'm going to read it to you straight and true. John 8 and verse 31. We read, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So here in John 8, Luke talks, or excuse me, Luke. I said Luke so many times. John's talking about freedom, recollecting Jesus' discussion with some Jews who actually believed and these things he was saying about freedom. But what seemed to be the predicament in this particular story? Well, as he's speaking to these people who believed him, he makes one thing very clear. And he says, if you really are a follower of me, you have to obey what I say. You know, that's a constant throughout God's word, right? There's a number of verses we can go to. A little bit later in the book of John, Jesus talks about, if you love me, you obey my commandments in the 14th chapter. In 1 John, we read of how if we love him, we obey what he says. And if we don't, we disobey him. So, so Jesus is making it very clear to those listening. Look, you might believe me, but if you really are a disciple of mine, a follower of me, you're willing to listen to me. But then he talks about this need for them to be made free. And how there's a way that they too can have freedom. Now, it was a little strange to these individuals listening because they didn't respond happily saying, hey, freedom, we like freedom. You know, they didn't respond by saying, hey, we like to be free. We would love to be free. 
But instead, they were a little confused, and they asked a question to Jesus. You know, I used to have a baseball coach that used to say there's no such thing as a dumb question. He said the only dumb question is a question not asked. So they were confused. And so they respond with a question. And there in verse 33, we read, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? You know, they were a little bum-fuzzled. They were confused. Because they said, How can you tell us we can experience freedom when we aren't slaves? They said, We're... We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. So how can you say you will be set free? You know, if if you're set free from something, that means you, at one point in time, weren't free, right? You know, in our history, we might think that to be free is one end of the spectrum and to be a slave is the opposite end of the spectrum. And so they're confused when Jesus says, hey, you can be free because as far as they're concerned, they've always been free. Now, there's a couple of things I think that's wrong with their logic. One, from a worldly perspective, they really weren't quite as free as maybe they thought they were. You know, in in the Jewish world at that time, there was no sovereign Jewish nation. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire. So one irony is they call themselves free, but, but they're not even their own country. So that's a little different. But secondly, I think it's interesting they reference back to their history They say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. Well, if you know anything about Jewish history, what is one word we read about all throughout Israel's history books? Well, it's captivity. Time and time and time again, they were thrown into captivity. In the very beginning of their history, they were in captivity to the Egyptians. Of course, that's in the book of Exodus, where they left that captivity, but they didn't leave it for long, did they? We read of how they were enslaved by other nations, the Babylonians, the Assyrians and other ones before them. So these individuals who responded to Jesus, maybe they weren't very intelligent, maybe they, were, maybe they didn't like the fact that they were being told they needed to be free, but they responded to Jesus, you know, how can you say you will be made free when we've never been slaves? Well, seemingly, they were in fact slaves, and they didn't realize it. Seemingly, they thought that they were free but they weren't. Now, you might think that that's a crazy thing to happen to somebody, but don't you think that that's a a possibility? I mean, just in day-to-day life, do you think there's people that you know who think that they're free, but they really aren't? You know, if you think of it from an animalistic perspective, anybody have a pet dog? We've got a pet dog. His his name is Luke. I did not name him Luke. (laughs) So there he cats out of the bag. The dog's out of the bag. That's true. A buddy gave him to me because that was the dog's name. So anyway, have a dog. Great, great dog. I mean, a name like that. Great dog. And he probably thinks he's free. But you know what? He's not as free as he thinks he is. He's got a pen. And he's got an understanding that he can't go certain places because I, I, I crack down on that freedom. Or even more carefully you might know you maybe notice certain dogs have collars right collars that beep you know it gives off the impression that a dog can go as far as he wants until it beeps and they're not as free as they think or maybe if you look at cows out in the field it looks like they're free but maybe they don't realize there's a bunch of fences all around them 
You know, it's possible for, for people, for animals to think that they are free when they really aren't. Over in the book of 2 Peter, over in the book of 2 Peter, Peter talks to Christians there. And just to touch on that really quickly, he warns about false teachers. And in 2, Tim, or excuse me, in 2 Peter and in chapter 2, down in verse 19, when Peter was talking about false teachers specifically, he says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcame, by him also is he brought into bondage. So he, he talks about false teachers and, and in the context people who were teaching freedom, but they themselves weren't free. And, and even though they may have thought themselves free, they weren't. And so, again, here in John 8, we clearly have some people. They think they're free, but they're not as free as they think. Well, what, what seems to be their captivity? What seems to be the thing that keeps them out of this freedom? Well, down in verse 34, Jesus answered them. He told them why they needed to be set free. Because in verse 34, he said, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Anybody here ever done anything bad before? You might say, sin? Well, certainly. There's nobody in this room who is perfect. If there was, we'd have a really big change in the plot of the Bible. Because we only read of one perfect human being, and that was Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you know, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, he makes it clear that really and truly every single human being who has ever committed a sin is in fact more in bondage than they realize. And so in verse 35, he talks about the consequences of the life of a servant. Verse 35 he says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And so here in just the context of just verse 31 to verse 36, Jesus has there's a very simple message I think we as Christians especially should be able to pick up on. One, and that is, without Jesus we cannot be free from sin. You see, prior to Jesus, there was no perfect sacrifice to have a forgiveness of sins. You know, in the Old Testament, there were a lot of sacrifices that were offered. But in the book of Hebrews, the author talks about there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And so here he is conveying to them, in verse 31, he says, If you abide in my word, and you are my disciples indeed. And he talks about how you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And down there in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Essentially, without Jesus, one cannot be free from sin. So simply put, the, the first big part of our lesson this morning is for us to recognize that when we commit sin, we are in fact slaves of sin. And in order to get free from that sin and the consequences thereof, we need somebody to set us free, and that someone is Jesus. And so for us as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, that, that, that shouldn't be anything new to you. That shouldn't be new knowledge. As a Christian, when you think back on your life outside of Christ, a life without Jesus, you can think back, okay, without Jesus, I, you know, I, 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 was, I was sinful. And until I was willing to obey the gospel, to, to do the things that he said, he said, you know, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. If we... If we don't obey these things, if we don't know these truths, it's going to be very difficult to get out of that captivity. And so he conveys that he is the way to freedom. 
But if you want to turn with me now, though, we're going to switch gears a little bit over to the book of Romans. And I want us to turn over to the book of Romans and in the sixth chapter to discuss a little bit more of this idea of slavery and this idea of being freed from sin. Because when we think about Jesus setting us free, and I know that's just a, there's a whole lot to think about in those few verses. But when we think about this idea of, of Jesus setting us free from sin, it's important, I think, for us to recognize that as Christians, that we're freed from sin, we are no longer slaves to it. Once one is freed from something, it's over with. They're free. For instance, if you think back to the book of Exodus, when the Israelites were freed from the Egyptians, it wasn't a half-and-half half life. It wasn't like they still sometimes served the Egyptians and then went home. No, they, they were done with the Egyptians. And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul conveys this in perhaps a little bit more detail, this idea of no longer being slaves to sin, but instead serving the Lord. And of course, keep in mind the book of Romans, it is directed to Christians, reminding Christians of how they became Christians and what they are expected to do and to be as Christians. But over in Romans 6, starting in the first verse, Paul there said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so here is, as Paul now is writing to Christians, he talks a little bit about this idea of not serving self anymore, of not being slaves to sin anymore. And he says, hey, as Christians you don't do that anymore because that old man of sin died. Well, when did that happen? Well, he said in verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. He talks about a rebirth that takes place. So when we think about this being freed from sin as a Christian, you know, as we become Christians, we've essentially been reborn. We've been set free. Again, thanks be to God through Jesus. Romans 5, if, you just, if you're taking notes, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 down to verse 11 are some great verses to think about, about Jesus' sacrifice that he made and the power of his, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection in our life as Christians, making that possible. But down in verse 5, he takes it deeper because in verse 5, Paul goes on to say, for if we have been united together in the likeness of death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, for that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know, it seems like Paul is wanting these Christians to know that as Christians, they should no longer have any part with sin. Which makes me wonder if maybe these Christians weren't struggling with that, which is why he was having to remind them of this. <coughs> he wanted them to realize that in being free from sin, they were free from it. Sin was done. Sin was over with. Why? Because they were free people. I mean, if you could just imagine if, if, you, were, if, if you grew up as a, as a slave, as a servant, any country, any time in history, let, let's imagine that that's what you are. How many people... In this room, if you were once a slave, were freed from slavery, 
would voluntarily want to go back to it. Doesn't sound very appealing. But yet for some reason, sin, there's just something about it. Christians were wanting to fall back into slavery of sin. Strange, isn't it? We'll read a little bit further in verse 8. He said, Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, as you read that a little bit farther, there may have been something that sounded a little strange. Now, some of you, nothing may have sounded strange at all. But when you think about this idea of being free, that means you're no longer a slave at all, right? Because if you're free, well, now you're a free man. But as Paul is talking about this idea of being free from sin, saying that a, a child of God who's experiencing freedom now doesn't, doesn't, serve slave, or doesn't serve sinfulness anymore, it almost starts to sound like by, by the end of those verses we just read, right down to verse 12 to 14, it almost sounds like Paul is saying that because we're no longer slaves to sin, we're trading it off to be slaves for someone else. Now again, as Christians, we're a freed people. We're free from sin. But how in the world can I be free and still be a slave? I mean, back in John 8, John, you know, Jesus talked about being freed from sin. And I point this out because in our society, in our culture, when we think of freedom, we think of freedom as the freedom to do whatever we want. And that's the beauty of it. I mean, do you like having freedom to do whatever you want? When I was 16, I, I got a license. That's a lot of freedom. When I graduated high school, go to college, or, or maybe, maybe go out and, and get a job or move out of the house. Hey, that's, that's great. Why? Because you got freedom. You're in control. We think of freedom as just a great thing. This idea of answering to nobody but ourselves. But yet, as a Christian, as a child of God, yes, freedom has its place, but Paul is describing it not in a perspective of, hey, you know, having been freed from sin, you can now do whatever you want but more or less as a life change of being no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to something better. Now, this might make more sense when we read a little bit further, because if you're hearing this for the first time, you might think, well, this does not sound very appealing. I mean, why would I want to be a slave as a Christian when I could just be a slave to me? Well, if you look in verse 15, Paul talks about this in a little bit more detail. Because in verse 15, he says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And so just, just to make a note about this, there were Christians who were hearing about this grace, you know, just this unmerited favor that we receive as Christians. 
And even today, just like in the first century, there were Christians who thought that because they were forgiven of their sins, they could live life as they saw fit because they were forgiven. They were free, so now they could just live life however they wanted. But Paul wanted them to understand that that's not the type of freedom that God paints in his word. So in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? You know, Paul doesn't really give mankind too many options here. He almost seems to make it clear that as human beings, no matter what we're doing, we're actually all just slaves in some capacity whether it be slaves to ourselves, sin, worldly pleasures, or slaves to something or someone much greater. And when you think about it from that perspective, it's very humbling, I think. For us as humans, the, the most intelligent creature on earth to be just boiled down to the level of a slave, I mean, there in verse 16, he said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? So again, it's the option. You know, Paul says, hey, whoever we submit ourselves to, that's the kind of slaves that we are. He says it's either to sin or to righteousness. And so now we're all confused, right? Because now it's, well, wait a minute, Luke. You just said we were free, but now you're telling us we're all slaves. Well, here's the catch. One type of servitude has terrible consequences. While being free from that servitude, a new type of servitude has much better consequences. And what do I mean by that? Well, in the latter part of verse 16, he said that sin leads to death. Or of obedience leading to to righteousness. He goes on in verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what in the world are we seeing here? Well, again, in the first couple of verses there, from verses 15 on to right around 16 and 17, Paul makes it clear. Whoever we serve, that's who we're slaves to. But in being Christians, we're freed from that life of slavery and the consequences that come with it. While in being a slave to God, a slave to righteousness, we get to inherit this gift of eternal life. We talked about this idea of how in uh, verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, here's the thing. As human beings, there's a lot of things we can choose to do with our time. You, know, you have the freedom to leave this room right now. I can't make you stay. When you wake up in the morning, you have the freedom to decide what you're going to do with your day. 
We have those freedoms. We have those abilities to do those things. God has blessed us to do that. But what we choose to do will have consequences. And there in verse 23, if, if our main goal is, okay, I'm going to serve self, which Paul reminds these Christians is a sinful attitude to have, there's consequences to it. He says the wages of sin is death. There it is. But in using this freedom from sin to live in service to God, the consequences are this godly life, this eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I know it's easy to say, well, what looks better? You know, would you rather be dead or would you rather be with Jesus? And it, you know, it's simple to say, well, I want to be with Jesus. But when you think about our whole purpose in being created, that answer makes a lot more sense. If you think back to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote that book. He's the son of David. And he, you might remember, was the king who was approached by God in a dream. And in this dream, God said, Solomon, because of your father David and his good conduct, I'm essentially going to grant you one request. This was a real story. And so Solomon says, God, I want the ability to discern between that which is good and that which is evil. And God essentially says that because you've asked for wisdom, I will grant this to you. And God was so impressed with his answer, he liked that answer so much, he blessed him also riches and honor. And so Solomon, all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, talks about all these different things he tried in life. You might say that he was a slave to himself. And if you ever get a chance to look at the book of Ecclesiastes, it's not very long. I think it's like 12 or 13, I think it's 12 chapters. A whole book, there's a phrase that he mentions over and over and over. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That means worthless or futile. Now the irony is, many people would say that Solomon was the freest man in history. Because he could do anything he wanted. He bought everything. He tried everything. Fellas, he had 1,000 women in his life. I think it was 300 wives and 700 concubines or vice versa. Nobody seems too excited about that. <laughs> well, why wasn't, it, why wasn't life grand? I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. He had true freedom. It almost seems like Solomon learned the hard way. That in being a servant to yourself and serving yourself and being a slave to sin, life was not very fulfilling. Almost as if man wasn't made to serve himself. Almost as if man was made to serve somebody better. And at the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that. He says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. You see, as human beings, we were made for God. We were made to serve Him and to praise Him. That was the intention. But as human beings, we have a problem to put self over a lot of other people and over a lot of other things. And yet in God's Word, God makes it plain and clear that in being free from sin, yes, it is a life in service to God, but here's the beauty of it. It's much more fulfilling because that's what we're made for. But in the long run after death, we can enjoy that eternity with Him and being with God. In the end of Psalms in chapter 73, there was a guy there named Asaph. He was a Levite priest. And I think back in February we talked about that. And I think I maybe even referenced it last week. 
But that psalmist talks about this Levite priest. He talked about how despite all the temptations he faced in life, he said here, here, here at the very end of Psalm 73, he said, the nearness of God is my good. I'm going to turn over there right quick to Psalms chapter 73. Over in Psalm chapter 73, at the very end of it, he talked about all these temptations that he faced, all these struggles that he had. But in verse 27 of Psalm 73, he said, For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. You know, when we think about serving God as well, not only is that what we're made for, not only is that a more fulfilling life, but when we think about serving Him and listening to what He has to say about the benefits from serving Him, I mean, we have no reason to doubt Him. You know, God has never lied. Every prophecy that's ever been made, everything that He ever said He was going to do, He did. You know, I think what's really cool about one of the proofs that the Bible is a reliable text you know, when Isaiah wrote down what Isaiah was saying, he didn't call up Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, make sure when you write your account, you know, that, that you make this work out. He didn't write Luke and say, hey, in Acts, when that Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, make sure it points to Jesus. These guys didn't know each other. So when these prophecies were being made, they came true. We have every reason to trust in what he's saying. To know that, hey, maybe God does know best. And maybe when he said it's better to, to live a life in service to him, that's what we should do. And that in being truly free in life is not about being free from everyone. But it's about the idea of being free from sin and serving God instead. Now, I know like most things, that's a lot easier said than done. You know, we can walk out of here and say, I don't want to serve self, I want to serve God instead. Certainly it is a difficult thing to put into practice. Because we live in a world where that's the exact opposite of what the world wants us to do, isn't it? And we live in a world where it's all about you, it's all about me. It's all catered to us. A world where we're so blessed with so many freedoms and opportunities that if you can't freely do anything you want, people might get in an uproar. I mean, just not, not to get too political, but I mean, if you, if you look in the world around us right now, I mean, if you wish to choose to change your sexual identity, who is someone else to question you? Because you have the freedom to do that. That's not the freedom God talks about in His Word. When He says being free from sin, He's not encouraging us just to freely live life as we see fit, but to be free from sin, which is so, so dangerous. You know, there in Romans chapter 6, in verse 19, he talks about, uh, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. He describes this attitude of, of serving self as just being a slippery slope. Again, the dangers of sin. So much better instead be a servant to God. You know, if... I may, have, I may have told you about this story as well. Has anybody ever seen the show The Twilight Zone? In The Twilight Zone, there's a really interesting episode about a gentleman who was a bank robber. And in the very, I'll spoil it. I'm going to spoil the story, so if you don't want to know, there you go. But he, uh, he gets killed. And when he wakes up, he meets a gentleman in a white suit with a white beard. And he goes up to him. He says, where am I? And he says, you're in the afterlife. 
He says, how does this work? And he said, well, whatever you need, I'll give it to you. And so little by little, this thief who's lived a life of stealing and killing is just so impressed with his afterlife. He's impressed because this gentleman in this white suit and a white beard gave him whatever he wanted. He asked for a million dollars, and that's what he got. He asked for a big house, that's what he got. He asked for all these awesome casinos and all these friends, and, and it was just so great. When you're watching the episode, you think, wow, like a lot of Twilight episodes, what's going to happen here? And then finally, after how many ever years pass in this 30-minute episode, the guy gets upset. And he says, I'm tired of winning all the time. He says, I want something better. And he said, well, just name it and I'll give it to you. And he says, I don't know what else to ask for. And he finally looks at the guy and he gets real upset. And he says, I didn't think heaven was going to be like this. I thought it would be better. And you know what the guy in the suit told him? He said, who told you this was heaven? And then the piano plays and then it shuts off. It's scary to think about because, you see, when we think about true freedom, that's what we as humans think. So often in our culture, it's all about you. Do what you want to do. But God makes it clear, no, 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 that's a trick. That's a trap. Because true fulfillment in life is all about service to God, serving Him, praising Him. And even though some people might say, well, I don't like the idea of that because, you know, I, I can't make my own decisions. Well, here's the thing. God knows best. He made you. He made me. He made us. So when he says this is what we should do in life, for one, I think it's a good idea to take his advice. If for any other reason, because he knows best. But when you look at God's word, I mean, God didn't design his commandments to make our life frustrating. You know, if you look at the book of Proverbs, all that wisdom, do you think that God wrote us that book to say, here's some boring rules to, to, to just regulate and control your life? Certainly not. It's designed to help us through life. You know, when it talks about things like trusting in him, Talks about you know, encouraging each other, you know, the idea of having strength in numbers, all sorts of wise, wise things in the Proverbs. So many wonderful things to chew over and to think about. And again, all of that coming about as a result of individuals who choose to be free from sin, thanks to Jesus, and to be servants to God. And so the last thing that I'll give you as a warning is over in 1 Peter. In light of this conversation of freedom we've been discussing, in the context he talks about living before the world as pilgrims, as sojourners, and the importance of submitting to governing authorities. But down in verse 15, he tells these Christians, 1 Peter in chapter or 2, chapter 2, in verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Before we go any further, I think I read it in a farmer's almanac. It said that, it said, it said that the, the best pulpit you have is your life. You know, your life is, is, is a constant sermon to a lot of people. And so here in verse 15 he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And in verse 16, As free, yet not using liberty, as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You know, as Christians, we enjoy many spiritual freedoms in being free from sin. As human beings, we enjoy many freedoms to make decisions. But may we not take those freedoms for granted? May we not take the freedom that we have from sin for granted, certainly, and think, oh, hey, I can just live my life how I want. But may we instead seek to obey God as he would see fit. Because one, First Peter talks about there, it's the will of God that we should do good. 
So that when others see us, hey, maybe they might wonder, hey, well, who is this God? And they too can do the same. So may we as Christians this morning, when you think about freedom and you launch some fireworks, things like that, may you think about the freedom you have in Christ and that freedom that we shouldn't take for granted. And may we encourage that among other people, among other people who we know aren't free from sin, who are struggling with that, and maybe they don't even realize it. May we seek to be that light as Jesus was for them. And so if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, and that's something you've struggled with, well, hey, here's, there's some, some, maybe some good words to think about for your afternoon. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, and maybe you know that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, that's something you've thought about and, and you understand that you need to begin that life in Christ, well, here in just a moment, I'd encourage you to take advantage of our time. But if you're here this morning, maybe you just need prayers of encouragement or, or anything else of that nature, um, I'd encourage you to take advantage of our time um, while we stand and while we sing the song of invitation.